0: Hello. Hi. We're back. We are back.
1: Yeah, we um we've been trying. We had a couple of attempts to record before. But yeah, no, it didn't. We were sabotaged.
0: We were. The the podcast gods were not on our side. We had some days where not everyone was feeling well, and we had some days where some microphones did not feel very well. So, <laughs> But everything's fine now. We are back.
1: Yep. How have you been?
0: I've been good. I feel like I've been really busy. Um, but good busy. We've both been on nice trips. I've been to Portugal over my birthday. I'm 29 now.
1: Happy <laughs> birthday! 29!
0: (laughs) 29? I had to copy that. I know you posted that on your birthday when you turned 29 and I was like, I need Schmidt in my life. So I posted Schmidt's video on my Instagram.
1: It is the perfect clip. And I copied it from someone else as well. So I think everyone just (laughs) copies it when they see it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How have you been? How was your trip?
1: Yeah, good. I went to Berlin, um, which is where I, well, so I like did an exchange year there 10 years ago which is absolutely wild if I think about it It it's been 10 years but yeah I went there and I just did a lot of walking I went to like all the restaurants and bars that I well some of them were had closed in the meantime but I went to a lot of places that I used to go to and like it was it was very nostalgic and I went to my old apartment building and my apartment still looked exactly the same from like from the outside. Cause I was on the first floor so I could see my balcony and these same seventies lace curtains that I had 10 years ago as well. And it was, I don't know, it was very emotional. I'm a very, nost- I get very emotional um, and nostalgic when it comes to like places and things like that. Um, so Yes, yeah, so I had a little cry actually in the middle of the street in front of that apartment because I don't know everything just kind of started coming back to me, but it was great. I love Berlin.
0: Oh, that's so nice. I mean, someone was watching you probably thinking, "What the heck is what the heck is this woman doing in front of <laughs> my did... flat?"
1: But definitely. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh god. Well,
1: I also have something to. Something I need to set straight. Um, so, yeah, before I get in trouble. So last time, I think it was last time, we announced, maybe a couple of episodes ago, we announced, or we, well, shared, um, because this is not interesting to anyone but us, <laughs> that we got Eros tour tickets. Um, and, you know, yeah, how I said, you know, we did it, we did it, we have tickets. Well, so my... A boyfriend afterwards <laughs> was like, um, so I noticed how you didn't mention me and all the efforts that I put in. So um, yeah, I I would hereby like to state that he he did a lot. He did a lot, and um, he really helped me get Aristotle tickets, and I'm not proud of the version of myself that I turned into during those ticket sales. I I don't really think he was prepared for that. (laughs) I think he thought he was prepared for that (laughs) until we were in the moment (laughs) because I saw the shock on his face. Um, But, yeah, listen, I did what I had to do and it worked and we did it. Um, But, yeah, so shout out to him for helping me, letting me use his devices (laughs) and letting me verbally, well, abuse him a little bit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'm thanking him for his sacrifice because that also meant I got my ticket. So thank you, <laughs> very much appreciated.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> should we get into today's episode?
0: Yes, let's let's introduce the podcast, maybe. Well. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Welcome to Millennial Musings, everyone. I am Isabella.
1: And I'm Gladys, and we are just two opinionated millennials who sometimes make dumb mistakes. What we want to do here is share our experiences and offer the advice that we wish we had received.
0: Yes, and just a quick disclaimer, we are not therapists or life coaches, and we have no actual criteria to be giving any advice whatsoever. Um, But what we could be is your new bestie or big sister. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, because... The time today that we are recording is actually quite early in the morning, so coffee's definitely needed. And yeah, get ready for some millennial musings.
1: So, as always, we focus on different themes and we try to answer three to four questions within these themes. Each question is one episode. Today, we're recording the second episode of our corporate theme, and we call this episode Are We the Generation of Job Hopping and Imposter Syndrome?
0: yes are we (laughs) i think so (laughs)
1: well i don't know let's discuss (laughs) yeah shall we start with imposter syndrome
0: yes i think that's quite a big topic for most people
1: okay let's do it so imposter syndrome um some of you probably well some of you might hear this and go oh (laughs) yeah (laughs) that one (laughs) i'm very familiar (laughs) If you're anything like me. Other people might maybe not have an idea of what exactly this is. So I found you a definition which says imposter syndrome is the inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been leg- legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. So it basically means that when you're in any space or in any room, um you feel like you're a fraud and you didn't belong there, even though objectively it's very obvious that you deserve the space in that room. Now, we will focus on the professional aspect of this, but I think this can be true in very much every aspect of life. I think motherhood, for example, is probably a very big one. where And I, I can't really speak on this, but I think many people probably... I think it's very easy with something like motherhood to feel like everyone's getting this exactly right and I'm the one person who is not even though that's obviously not the case right so we'll we'll talk about this um from a professional angle so I experienced this quite a lot and I'm not 100% sure why but so I tried to figure that out in this episode so I'll take you on this journey with me um well first of all the Experience that we shared last time, um, our first shared work experience at the company called The Shit Show. When I was working at The Shit Show, I didn't feel that way. I didn't really have imposter syndrome because, first of all, I didn't really care that much. <laughs> and also, I didn't really feel like everyone else was necessarily very capable <laughs> of, uh, at their jobs or of doing their jobs. Whereas at my current company, and we work for the same company Everyone is really good at what they do And I've really noticed And I've kind of been surprised Because I'm, I don't know Generally, I think quite a confident person But I have realised how Very often I feel like I'm the clown That they accidentally hired And one day one day they will realise That they made a massive mistake um, I also Am I the only one who still feels this way? But I... In many ways still feel like a child Like I can have a conversation with A 25 year old And still feel like They're obviously the more Wise or mature person Of the two of us And like I need to somehow prove myself to them Or even, I don't know Maybe this is like I digress now but sometimes I honestly feel and I think it's mostly at work but when I feel like I need to somehow impress them or like be cool or something I think work is a lot like school in many ways
0: I agree I do feel like work is like there are these specific cliques like it doesn't it's not just our job now I just feel like in general at work and I felt that a lot in my second job in the UK so the one after the shit show and the one before my current role um, at lunch there was literally I walked into the kitchen eating area and I felt like oh my god so there are the cool kids these are like the... because in that role I was a content editor um, and it was this digital media agency and we had like different networks that were responsible for different themes of like youtube channels one of them was like history one one of them was like the documentary and film one and it's like you walk in and you see these cliques of these are the history people these are the well i was actually you would think i was in the cool <laughs> i was in the cool network because i wasn't the film and documentary one um i don't know it was just like very divided and i do kind of also feel a bit like this in our current role it's not I don't. I wouldn't know how to categorize people, but there are definitely certain groups where I'm like, okay, so who am I? And in the end, I sit with Gladys.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's exactly how I feel as well. I love how your previous job was literally Lindsay Lohan in, in Mean Girls getting this tour of like the cafeteria.
0: Literally, that's how I felt walking in sometimes, and oh, it was, they were all nice, well, most of them were really nice people, but it was just a bit odd. You didn't know where to fit in. And I feel like, because Gladys and I talked about imposter syndrome before we obviously re- recorded this episode, and I was like, I don't have much to say about imposter syndrome. I have my, like, little opposite syndrome, which I like to call the Kanye syndrome, where I always feel like, I do deserve this, give me more, like, I, I know this, come on. But having heard what you just said, it doesn't really always have to be professional, like related to a profession. I definitely suffer from imposter syndrome. I always feel like I don't belong in this group of people because I don't think I'm cool enough or like I don't think I have anything interesting to say that they would want to hear. So often when I'm not really close with someone, I turn into the choir person and people think I'm either really shy or bored or maybe not interested in them. But I'm a weird person, but only when I get really close to you so I guess that's my version of imposter syndrome, feeling like, why should I say anything? I don't think they want to hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But exactly. not in a professional way. In a professional way, I'm always like, hello, I know this. <laughs> 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 I deserve so much more.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, so that's very interesting because, yeah, I, I very much have that in a professional um, context as well, where I feel like, well, why should I, I don't know, I'm also not the kind of person during meetings or something when, like, a problem is shared or whatever, I'm not the person who immediately is like, okay, so my thoughts on this are this and this and this, like, I usually need a little bit more time, I'm usually, like, okay, let me just, you know, get get away <laughs> from this for a couple of days, think about this, and then I'll get back into the conversation and go, hey. So I've been thinking, why do we not do this and this and this? But I don't know, there can be that there can be this feeling. And I think, like you said, there are different personalities in a in an well, let's say in a corporate environment in this case, because that's what we're mainly discussing. Um, but I think in any environment, and also it, it can almost make you feel like you need to be that way as well, even though sometimes you're just not that kind of person, like you said, you're just not that, you're just not the loudest person on meetings, you're just not the person who's always like, hey, here I am, you know, and I'm not really like that either, maybe surprisingly, (laughs) because I am a very theatrical and loud person, but at work, I'm not, I'm not really like that, well, not that I'm different at work, but just when it's about work, when it's work related, I'm not really like that but then i feel like sometimes there can be this idea of like oh you have to be so like you need to make yourself you need to just talk even if it's just to talk even if it's just to let people hear you that you're there
0: yeah because i actually i talked to this about my boyfriend just yesterday cuz i'm like uh, like you said not the loudest person in the room I do have my ideas in meetings but on sometimes I don't immediately have the idea I like to like you said step back think about it there's different ways how people process things but I feel like in the corporate world it's really much like you hear you dare you are loud you say exactly what you think the moment it comes out so you're the first person who had the idea and I think it really, like, there's so much stuff going on in any company at this point where it's like, you get a well-being benefit, you need to think about stress and blah, 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 which, yes, it's good to avoid burnout and whatever. But one thing that's really never properly talked about is being an introvert within corporate world, because it just is assumed that because you're not loud, you just don't know as much or you're just not as qualified. But it's just, yeah, it's just really something I would love the corporate world to actually be aware about and think about and look into. Yeah,
1: mm -hmm, exactly. And you know what I just thought about? Do you know that episode in Friends where Rachel pretends to smoke so that she can go with her colleagues because that's how, like, all of the important decisions get made? And that obviously is – well, it's probably a bit exaggerated and I'm not saying that's the case in my – or that has been the case in my experiences at all. But I do think that there is something to, like, you know, people – hanging out outside of work, people going to the pub after work and everything. And I just don't, well, I mean, if there's like something scheduled, if I know, oh, in two weeks we have a dinner or a drink or an event or something. Yeah. Okay. I'm all about that. On a regular Thursday, I just like to go home and watch some 90 day fiance. So don't, don't last minute invite me to the pub or to like a, a rooftop bar. Or something. No, I need to be prepared for that kind of stuff. And then it's and then you kind of, you know, we spoke about this um, recently with the boundary thing. But then you kind of feel like you need to come up with a very valid excuse as to why you can't join, even though. I don't want to, or I'm going home now and I need to, you know, prepare dinner and whatever is, is a very a valid excuse, but then it's sometimes, it sometimes feel like, it feels like to be part of it, you have to do that, but just not everyone is like that, <laughs> so yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I 100% agree. <sighs> um, what I
1: did think was very interesting though, uh, so about how I've been feeling like, oh, I, somehow by sheer luck got hired for this role and they'll realise this soon enough. Actually, there was one person, a woman... I'll get to this later, but that's important. <laughs> A woman um at work, my current company, who in the beginning I was very, very intimidated by because I felt like, oh my god, she's so good at her job. She always says the right thing. She always knows she was one of those people in meetings. You say something immediately within two seconds, she was okay. So what about this and this and this? And I was always like, how do you even think about that so quickly, (laughs) you know? And I was very intimidated by her. And then at some point, she said, um, or she shared a message with people where she said that she also felt that way for many years. She also said something like, when I got hired for the first, like, X amount of time, I thought that, um, yeah, that people would notice that I had faked everything and that I didn't belong here and everything And that to me was so interesting because I was like, oh my god, she feels that way as well? Even her, the person who, well, by like no fault of her own But one of the people who made me feel like I didn't really belong there and like I was faking it And I thought that was so interesting Um. Yeah
0: Yeah, I think that's why it's actually important to talk about it and for people to be more open about how they actually feel at work. And I think and now I might get in trouble for saying that, but it's I think women are more likely to actually share that there's sometimes you just aren't as confident and you just have to actually fake it. Whereas I think men, I think they just believe everything they think about themselves. Not all of them, but I feel like a lot of them. But I might be very wrong, so please call me out. This is just what I experienced looking at men in the corporate environments that I have worked in and I'm working in.
1: Well, so um, I did look into this a little bit because, of course, that is a question that I asked myself as well. And... Um, Well, first of all, I think we'll get to the, like, gender part in a bit. But first of all, because, um, of course, we focus on also, like, the millennial generation, I um, tried to find some... I didn't really find very specific data on, I don't know, millennials um, experiencing this. But um, even, you know, like, anecdotally, or articles do suggest that millennials feel this way a lot more and so then I was wondering yeah why is that because actually yes maybe maybe in my own experience as well I don't really think that and maybe it's because it's never it was never really discussed but I feel like our generation definitely experiences this a lot more this thing of like are we constantly we need to prove ourselves or do we belong here do we deserve this that kind of thing Um, and I, so I tried to do some, well, research is a stretch, but (laughs) but I tried to find some articles. And one of the reasons I found um, is that we, nowadays in this, in this age, day and age, we have endless options, but then we also kind of get criticised no matter what choice we make. And also that many of us are raised with very mixed messages. So on the one hand, we're kind of overpraised almost. And then on the other hand, we're also kind of criticized quite quite harshly. And I think also when I think about me and my friends and the choices that we make, I think no matter what we do right now in a professional, um no matter which professional choices we make, there will always be one group of people, be it our parents' generation, grandparents' generation, or our own generation who will criticize that because if you decide to be self-employed or a freelancer, then I feel like all the generations will be like, "Oh no, no, no! You shouldn't do that. That's that's risky, and that's not not a real job or something." If you're employed in in if you're an employer at a corporate organization, then there's the idea of, "Oh yeah, but you should do something that you're passionate about, and you shouldn't just be in this nine to five. And then. Um, if you decide to have children and be a stay-at-home parent, then you get the feeling, especially with women, I think you, well, with men, probably staying at home as, as a man is even, (laughs) is even more of a taboo, but anyway, um, then you get the message like, oh, that's not really feminist because like you're a full-time parent, but then I think if you're a mum with a big career, then it's like, oh, you don't spend enough time with your children, and then of course there's the whole social media element to it as well, which means that we just compare ourselves but also to our friends, I think. Um, Yeah, I'll let you talk for a minute.
0: (laughs) No, I agree. I feel like especially with like, social media, you see what everyone else is doing. But obviously, you only see the good moments on social media. So people might be posting where they're currently working from remotely or the big job trip they've been on or whatever they just achieved. And I don't know. I feel like you always put other people's achievements above yours. I mean, that is also a way where I experience imposter syndrome. I feel like... I think we both, we're doing quite well for ourselves. Like, a lot of people probably would like to be in situations where they earn enough money to live a comfortable life and have a job that looks after you and in a company that looks after you. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. You see other people... I don't know, I don't know how to put it, but you just see what other people do and you think I should be actually doing this. Or one of your friends keeps getting the one promotion after the other and you're like, but I'm struggling. Like I want to be promoted as well. But then you're like, but actually I'm fine. I'm comfortable in my role, but I should be promoted because that's just what should happen next. But yeah, it's just like, there's so much to compare yourself to and think of things that you should be doing. And I think also because it's so openly spread, like even platforms like LinkedIn, you can see everyone's, job journey and I think that can be quite because before that can be quite stressful because before you didn't really have an insight into everyone's every person's cv that you know and now you have and it can be quite it can make it can create a lot of pressure I would think so Mm,
1: that's a good point yeah that's very true yeah because then when you look at people, and and I do this all the time, and it's so bad. When it's like, oh, is this person even remotely in the same field as me? Oh, okay, when did they get promoted? When did they, like, is that, okay, is that normal? Is that the average? Am I behind? Am I, and it's like everyone, everyone has their own career path. And I have it a lot with um, writing as well, also from, like, a personal perspective angle with with my personal writing then I can I can just really feel like oh but this person is so young and they've they've already achieved all of this so why even bother (laughs) you know it's too late for me anyway and that's such it's so ridiculous and then I also like you said earlier when you feel sometimes in in groups when you feel like oh well why would they want to listen to what I have to say I have that with writing so much where I feel like what can I possibly have to say what can I possibly have to share with the world that hasn't already been said which is ironic because we're doing a podcast now which (laughs) basically I was just going to (laughs)
0: say but to be fair when when we were talking about should we do a podcast we were both hyping ourselves up that what we have to say will at least be relatable to one person and we told ourselves if this just helps one person to hear it's enough and that is true Um, Because, like, I don't know, but there's this saying that if you, at least in German, I'm sure there's there's one in English, I'm just going to translate it now, but you say um, shared suffering is half the suffering and it's not like that we're suffering, but it's just nice to know that other people are kind of in the same situation. SU and I don't know why it's like I said when I when we recorded our first episode and I said having moved to the UK and not having known a lot of people and being by myself a lot once the pandemic hit I felt a bit calmer because I knew other people are also not doing a lot of things and yes it sounds horrible but it is just it has a calming effect when you know there are others in your situation
1: yeah yeah I agree it does we also have that saying in Dutch by the way I feel like German and Dutch just have a lot of the same
0: yeah I mean it almost sounds the same it's Dutch and Deutsch so
1: (laughs) yeah which really confuses me
0: (laughs) it confuses a lot of people I think
1: um yeah so yeah but then yeah like I said with the writing sometimes Honestly, it's to the point where, like, if I'm reading a book and I read a very well-crafted sentence, I go, see, see, I could never do this. I could never come up with this. I almost take that as a personal attack for some reason. I don't know. It's ridiculous because there are so many. Like you said, there will always be people who are interested in what you have to say. And no, nobody has exactly the same experience and nobody has exactly the same thing to say. So, and there are so many books that are very similar or so many TV shows are very similar and people still watch it. So I don't know why. I don't know why I feel this way, but, but I do. It's like,
0: what's her name? Um, the author of the book that we both have. <laughs> I don't know the book's name and I don't know her name anymore. But what she said, <laughs> what she said is... Just do what you want to do, just write what you want to write basically because everyone comes from a different angle. Even though you have, you talk about the same topic, everyone has a different...
1: Is it, Flor- it? Florence Given?
0: Yes. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. From uh, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, yeah.
0: Yes, that one.
1: <laughs> she did say that. I was thinking about her as well when, <laughs> when I said it. Yeah, exactly, because she has a book on, so Women Don't Owe You Pretty is... I would say a good introduction into feminism. Um and it's it's a beautiful book. She does her own illustrations and everything. It's really really nice. But she as well I think how old was she? 20 or something when she had this best-selling book?
0: Yeah, she was quite young.
1: Yeah, and then she exactly is the one who said, well, yes, there are so many books on feminism, but there was no book that I wrote about feminism yet, <laughs> so I decided to do it. And that's I, I try, I really try to tell myself that as well.
0: Yeah, you have to.
1: Yeah. Um, so then I also found another angle um, or another way of looking at imposter syndrome that I thought was great, but also kind of shakes things up a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, well, I found a Forbes article that says that 75% of women in the workplace experience it to some degree. And I tried to find an article that compare or research that compares women and men. I couldn't really find it. Um, I did actually find that the difference overall is not that massive. So men experience it as well. They, it I think the numbers are a little bit less, um, but they still have it. But then also the I think it's yeah the Forbes article that says that they just show it in different ways and it says and this is this is not me who's saying this but it says um that men when they feel that way tend to underperform and avoid challenging goals and they avoid feedback whereas women will actively seek out that feedback and challenge themselves to prove their worth Because they feel like they need to prove their worth So where so it basically says that a woman And of course this is very like Stereotypical But that a woman will be like Oh I need to do this now To show people that I can do this Whereas a man would be like well, let, Let's not <laughs> um, And then that women Even though they do prove themselves They still keep feeling Anxiety and stressed I don't know. I don't know if this is true. <laughs> um, in my personal experience, men suffer a lot less from imposter syndrome, but maybe that's also because it's just not mentioned. I don't know.
0: This is really interesting. Yeah, I don't know. When I, I mean. The men I see, no, but to be fair, I haven't really talked to any guy about this that much because I feel like if I would come to them and say I have imposter syndrome and I'm sorry to be a cliche and stereotypical again, I feel like they would just start mansplaining to me and I just can't be asked to. But, um, I don't know. Maybe we don't notice it because they just don't go for the challenge like that quote says. I don't know. If you're a man and you're listening, please let us know because...
1: Yeah, do let us know. In a yeah. nice way.
0: <laughs> yeah, in a nice way. Yeah. Um go on and mansplain. This is your this is your this is your whole pass for mansplaining.
1: Exactly. Moment. Um yeah. But yeah, so the well, actually the inter- the interesting angle um that I found was that Of course, the words syndrome and imposter kind of already imply that there's something wrong with us and that it's our fault and it's our responsibility to fix when actually um, imposter syndrome may not always be in our heads. So I also I found um, an article in Harvard Business Review where and I found a lot of similar articles, but I chose this as just the example. that well, it says that imposter syndrome is not an illusion, and it's also not a coincidence that women um, talk about this a lot more. Because when women feel less acknowledged, it is often because they are less acknowledged, and this is especially true for women of color. So then, I found um, a quote that I thought was great that says. A feeling of discomfort, second-guessing, and mild anxiety in the wor- in the workplace is universal. So, you know, everyone has it, regardless of gender. But as white men progress, their work and intelligence are usually validated over time. They're able to find role models who are like them and rarely question their competence, contributions, or leadership style. Women experience the opposite. And I think that is very interesting. So the more, yes, the more, like, progression you make and the more you grow men will basically only well white men will usually only see themselves around them as well on those levels whereas as a woman the higher the higher you climb that corporate ladder the more alone you will probably feel because you will probably be one of the few women and especially women of color in that environment
0: yes i mean i haven't been in the work world as long as other people well because i'm a young we are we are younger millennials i would say um but in the three companies i've been in and the work i did in austria i'm not even going to count because i've never worked with a black person before in austria um i have not seen one black woman in a leadership position or had it as my manager or anyone i could actually well anyone who is above me really i mean of course there are people who are like in higher roles but it's still kind of the same role as mine like it's not like a leadership position basically no i have not been in that situation ever unfortunately and also what you said of black women being unacknowledged yes i'm not like in a very high position where we work right now or where we work where i worked before but i can guarantee and i told you that yesterday that i have been in situations in every company i've worked in where i literally said a sentence out loud in a team meeting and it just has not been heard like there was no one else talking while i was talking and it really made me question did i just think this and didn't say that loud, I don't know. Like, it's just a very weird and awkward situation. And I do wonder why is this? Because my voice is not that high pitched that you can't hear the frequency. So I'm just like, but what happens though? I wanna know what happens when I talk sometimes and people just simply not react. But then I have to say in the work environment, I get a different feeling from it than in like a social environment. Like if in a social environment I would not be heard, I would feel really sad about it and I would get the imposter syndrome. There's a siren. I don't know if you can hear it. I keep talking. No, yeah, it's, getting it's out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and in the work environment, I just get really pissed off and angry. Like it doesn't I, because I know I'm not the issue. I know what I have to say means something, but I'm simply not being heard for whatever reason it might be. I don't know.
1: Yeah, as you should. And I remember you when you were working at your previous company, you sent me so many voice notes so you were just few big, and there were voice notes where you were like, "Why do you pe- Why do they hate me? Honestly, tell me why they hate me right now. What am I doing wrong? Why does nobody hear me?" And it's so it's so sad that you feel that way.
0: And then there's people. I mean, just... there were even worse situations in that job where I was like saying something and <laughs> in a team meeting, and then no one really reacted. Like they said, so. they kind of reacted, but they didn't, and then. A minute later, this one guy would repeat exactly what I said, and people are like, "Oh yeah." I'm just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough world out there.
1: Yeah, see, and that's the thing. And also, I've had of of different situations as well, where you know, if if you you as a woman, if you're the manager and you're there with your with your assistant who's a man or something and then you meet up with clients or whoever and they automatically assume that your colleague is the manager. When you constantly... And that's the thing. White men won't usually have that experience. <laughs> so then it's not weird that you get the feeling that that space is not made for you because, well, it isn't. It isn't made for you. And so that's also why the answer is not to fix us as individuals or to be like oh you need to get over your imposter syndrome no the answer is to create an environment where there is a variety of leadership styles and how we can see role models or how we can just see ourselves um reflected in those higher levels as well
0: yeah because I guess I mean that's basically what you said but because you never for example see a black well never is a big word but not often see a black woman in a leadership position people are not used to give them the respect as they are used to giving the respect to a white man um so why should they then all of a sudden listen to me you know like they're not used to it as stupid as it sounds and unfortunately is but yeah
1: Yeah. and I also think and maybe even subconsciously that um well, and this is kind of a side note, but I I have noticed a couple of times in in any work environment that I've or any job that I've been in, when usually a man, um, as a manager, will speak to a person or speak to like a young woman, for example, who's on his team, and will speak to them in a way where I'm just like, you would never do that. If this was another middle-aged white man sitting opposite you, you would never talk to them in that in that way. You would never use that tone with them. And I think it's just so—I don't know—ingrained in society, and it's just so normal. And these people have probably never, never really been um, called out. whatever so it's yeah it's just considered normal and maybe we as women don't even think about it every time as well maybe we just just accept this as normal behavior when
0: when it's not yeah I agree I agree
1: well that's everything I have to say I think on imposter syndrome um so
0: oh yeah so should we move on to the second part of this episode which is I'm focusing on job hopping and millennials like into yep. changing their job well okay in that case i have a definition for everyone so the defini- definition of job hopping basically it just means it's the practice of changing your job frequently usually after staying in one role for not more than two years and I do have some facts and stats that I found in different research papers, but also I think maybe at this point I'm going to say a little bit about what I actually work. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, so the, mo- I work the in- moment has finally arrived. <laughs> We're sharing moment. what we do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we do. We are not in the same teams. We do different things, but we work for the same company. I am in client success. Um, I'm an assistant in the client success team um, and we work for a company that focuses on employee engagement. Um, so that's why we have a lot of insights in these things and yeah, I'm just going to get straight to the facts or do you want to say what you do? No. <laughs> no. Well, we're not in the same that's as far as I could go. <laughs> anyway, so let's get to some facts. So there are currently about four different generations. Working in the whole work economy, uh, work environment, we have the baby boomers, we have the gen, we have Gen Z, we have the millennials. No, sorry, we have the baby boomers, we have Gen X, we have the millennials, and then we have Gen Z. Um, and millennials and Gen Z are the generations that have the biggest reputation for job hopping. So it's said that they are unattached to organizations and institutions, and that people from this generation move quite freely from company to company more so than any other generation. And I looked at some studies and it shows that half of millennials, so they were compared to 60% of non-millennials, they strongly agree that they plan to be working at their company just one year from now. And that means for businesses that this suggests that half of their millennial workforce doesn't actually see a future with them. Um, And then I was wondering, but why are we millennials so likely to move around and change jobs? Um, And there are many potential reasons, but one could be that they have a low engagement to their workplace. Um, So what is employee engagement? Employee engagement. And this is a quote. And this quote is from Wikipedia. I could have taken it from anywhere from our our company, but it's just it would have been too detailed. (laughs) So employee engagement is a fundamental concept in the effort to understand and describe both qualitatively and quantitatively the nature of the relationship between the organization and its employees. So how is your relationship with the organization, including like managers, leadership team, anything really? And yeah, there are some things that a company can do to improve Millennials, the engagement of Millennials, for example. And I do actually agree with this. 54% say Um, that if a brand, well, the brand's environmental impact and policies do have an effect on just for them to choose a company, to work for a specific company. And then 38% of millennials identified that flexible work benefits and remote working is most important to them when it comes to a job. And I do agree. I think I don't, I wouldn't work for a company that makes me go in more than two or three times. Well, two times a week actually is the maximum. I might go in more but I don't want to be forced to go in more than two times a week um and then my personal thought of why millennials could chop up is also because it's just a faster way to getting more seniority in a role and it's a faster way to get promoted and get more money because I think it's it's just easier, in my opinion, to start a new job with higher pay in a new company, instead of waiting around in your current company to get promoted, because they're often, there's always something going on that will make you be pushed back, and there's only so much you can, I said that to you before, there's only so much you can do to show yourself to a manager, they have an image of you already, and they might just see you as the assistant, in my case, for example, and there's not really Anything I can do to change their mind of how they see me? Because they might just only see those ten percent of me, and that's just because some people just don't hear me. It's just no way to impress them anymore. This is not related to my role now. I'm just trying to make an example of it. Well,
1: yeah, I I definitely um agree with this. I think honestly, why we as millennials or younger generations are so different to older generations is simply because. The world has just changed. Um, I think, you know, uh, when I look at my own parents or grandparents or whatever, yeah, it's very normal to stay somewhere for 20, 30, whatever years. Whereas at our current company, people who've been there for five years talk about it as if it's an eternity. They actually say, oh, I've been here for an incredibly long time. (laughs) Whereas, like I said before my grandfather, for example, my my dad as well, they all worked for the same company. Well, my grandfather until his retirement, um, my dad until the company was sold, and he literally didn't have another option anymore. But nowadays, we just don't really do that anymore. For us, a good salary and just working for a set amount of time and then retiring to a steady pension is just not, we, we want more out of a job. And I think, I think the difference um, or I think job hopping is not necessarily, oh, we don't want to work hard or or, or we can't stay anywhere for for a long period of time. I think what it shows is where we don't get that sense of satisfaction and we crave it. Um, We don't get paid enough. Exactly, like you said, the best way to get a raise is still to switch jobs. And also poor job security, because I think jobs seem a lot less secure nowadays than they did a couple of generations ago, which I me mean, I think means that there's not we we don't feel loyal to any employer anymore. And I think even with all the generations, when I think about my my family, even if they absolutely hated their employer, there was still this sense of loyalty in a strange way or like, oh, but I can't, I can't do this to my team or I can't leave them or whatever. And, And we, I mean, of course, this is a generalization, but we don't really have that anymore, I think, to the same degree. We just want what's good for us.
0: Yeah, and I think that is how it should be because like you said, I think the loyalty isn't there from both sides in this way. Like I know that a company can replace me like this and I have nothing I can do against it, so why shouldn't I be able to replace them in a way? Like an eye for an eye. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, but honestly, I think I'm a great example for a job hopping millennial. Like I've lived in the UK for, in September, it will be five years. One of those years I wasn't working. I was a student and I am now currently in my third job. And this is not because I don't want to work hard and I don't want to be productive. This is because in my first role, I had no chance to work hard. I had no chance to be productive. The company just didn't take care of us at all. We've listened to the first corporate episode that we posted. Um, In my second role, I did this because the first role was more like client focused and it was a bit like a client success role, you could almost say. Whereas in the second role, I went for my passion. I went for film and editing and being creative and then realized, you know what? Like I also say in the previous episode, it's not really nice to have my passion sucked out of me because I just have to do it all the time and not under my own rules or whatever. Um, And so now I changed into my third role, which I am in now because I decided I want to do a career change. I don't want to, but I don't particularly have to work what my passion is, but I'm working something that I enjoy and I work in a tech company. Oh yeah, we work for a tech company. (laughs) Um, And it's something I can see a future in, but does not mean it has to become my life. Um, So I actually do think though, that is something I really like about the UK. I don't know if you mentioned this before, but you can actually work any job. You don't particularly have to have studied it. I mean, unless you're a doctor, obviously. But like, if I would have applied in Austria for a client success role, having worked as an editor before and having studied film, they would look at me a bit in like a weird way. And be like, why are you applying for this? without really having any client success experience and without having a business degree. Um, even though, I do have to say, my film, my master's in film had a whole business and law section. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think my job hopping is kind of, it's like it looks, some people might say, oh, this looks bad on a CV. Well, I stayed in most job for like a year and a half, a year and five months. And that's just when I found out that company's not for me because they didn't take care of us. I don't want to do that particular role. And now I found something I want to do and I want to develop myself in. But that's the thing. I think changing careers should not be seen as something bad. And job hopping doesn't have to be anything bad to a certain degree.
1: No, which is a great segue into what I wanted to say on this, (laughs) which is also we are expected to know at a very young age what we want to do. Um, and I'll share my personal experience here. So when I was 11, my, it all started when... No, no, it won't be long, I swear. But when I was 11, you know, I was in, uh, what's it called, primary school. My grades were not the best. And so basically they told my my mum, oh, you should just, when she goes to secondary school next year, just put her in this class and it's kind of somewhere in the in the middle, um, you know, if we look at, at it at, like, different levels which I don't really think we should but some you know some fields are more practical and some are more theoretical so they were like yeah put her something in the middle where she has a mix of both and um so then I was I was there I was like okay fine because I honestly did not give a flying fuck of course I was 11 um looking back now I I should have studied languages from my first year in secondary school because that was just my um we had like a Something called, like, it's literally called modern languages <laughs> is the literal translation. I should have, so it's not, you don't know, get Latin or Greek or anything. That's a different one. But I should have done that. Looking back now, that's by far seems the most interesting one to me. But at 11, I didn't know that. I didn't even know I was interested in languages. So, I st- I was there and then um, my grades were not the best. Then in my fourth year, I failed basically every single subject because I hated it. I was just not in the right place. I had all these very practical courses, and I am not a practical person, I'm not, um, it was all these weird, like, cooking classes, like, chemical, like, ch- chemistry, and all of that, and I'm, I'm also, I'm not a science person, and I think science is incredibly interesting, and I wish I was better at it, but I am not a maths or science person at all whatsoever, um, and so that's actually a lot of what I had, um, that was, that was very, yeah, those, classes for me were just too too much and so then I switched um and in my fifth and sixth year I did I did study languages um <clears throat> but like not not the modern languages one but I did it as like basically it was called well it was on it was it was basically just kind of a preparation for um, a management assistant study so that's what I did and my grades were really good from that moment oh no but also I should say in my fourth year when I failed all subject um, then I so I knew that I wanted to switch directions so that I wanted to go study the languages in my fifth year but because I failed that year I decided to redo that year, so I had to do it again, even though I hated it, and I had to do it the second time, so that I could get my grades up, and then would be allowed to do my fifth year, do something different in my fifth year, and in that year, I got a, and this, I'll try to not go on a tangent here, but in my fourth year, I got an official letter that said that all the teachers had unanimously agreed that I wouldn't be able to go to college, I wouldn't be able to go to university, and I should go to hair school. And I would really like to say, if you're that kind of teacher, and I mean this, fuck you, (laughs) because teachers should really be careful with these kinds of statements. Do you realise that this is... (laughs) I'm acting like I'm personally talking to someone, but honestly you have people's lives in your hands this is a 15 year old child that you're saying this to okay and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that like I mean I think being a hairdresser is one of the coolest jobs on the planet but like I said I'm not a practical person I would be the worst hairdresser in the world I I simply could not do it it's not it's not for me I don't have those skills I do not and also there's you know of course there's nothing wrong with that job but the way they said it was the way they look at it was very much. And also, like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a city in Belgium and everything. And it was very much like if you were a girl and your grades were not good, then they would tell you go to hair school. If you were a guy and your grades were not good, they would tell you become an electrician or something, Uh, unless you were a gay guy and your grades were not good, then they would also tell you go to hair school. So it was very much nobody, they did not look at at, at your specific skills. They didn't look at what you were good at it was literally just oh we we've given up on this person basically that's that's what it meant we don't want to invest time in them anymore you can't do this and I've heard this from so many people I have I have heard from people who finished law school who got told you'll never amount to anything you'll never be able to do this um I also have yeah sorry no go ahead
0: (laughs) No, I just want to say, yeah, I had a teacher that told me, well, my English teacher, because I chose English for my A-levels, and she started, because we had had people in our class who had younger siblings who also went to our school, and they had the same teacher, and my English teacher, after I decided to do English as my A-levels, written and in my oral exam, went to those classes and was like... Yeah, I have this girl, and she decided to do English as her A levels, and she talked about me. Like it was very clear she was talking about me because she. I also took another subject for my A levels, which was Latin, and that was really a that that was a bad decision. But she mentioned both of them, and she was like, I don't know if she's gonna like. I don't know what she's thinking choosing English. Well, bitch, look where I'm now. <laughs> I'm living in England. <laughs> I hope I'm just good enough to do a job. <laughs>
1: that I cannot explain to you how much that pisses me off honestly because it's like if in that moment if my parents would have been like oh your teachers you're you know they're your teachers they're probably right um we won't let you study languages then I would have now still been in my hometown and I would be the worst administrator in the world so I would probably you know it's 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 just you can't you can't do and obviously I mean teachers are the like I I could never I could never be a teacher. It's honestly one of the best, greatest jobs in the world. I think you need the the amount of patience that you must possess to do that job. But there are some horrible people out there who are not just like with any job, there's people who should not be teachers. And people should not I mean, I and then growing up, I also realized there were people who We were studying together, or you know, we were friends, and I knew that they basically had to, I don't know, like retake all of their classes and they basically failed everything. And then eventually they got their teaching degree, and then they go on to teach and decide what 12 year old people should do with their lives. It's like, how are you qualified to do that, to make that decision, to say that about someone? No, we should really. Oh, we should really be careful <laughs> with things like that. Because I honestly think that really did something to my confidence when they when I got that written like written letter that said, Yeah, you you will never be able to do what you want to do. Um and basically, yeah, like I said, we've kind of we've kind of given up on uh on you a little bit. And so then uh, then I kind of proved them wrong because then I did do the study. I did do the language thing in the fifth and sixth year and then I had amazing grades. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. Um, but then it was also what I was studying. The logical thing to do after that would be was um, study office management or get a business degree, which is exactly what I did. So I went to college and I got a business degree. I basically studied to become yeah to become a management assistant so to you know um or be a receptionist or be somebody's right hand and schedule meetings and uh plan business trips and all of that which if I think about this now was that something I ever wanted to do no no it was not but I just it was just a logical path and the logical next step for me and I so okay I I will tell you what I do I don't. I don't mind I don't, I don't yeah know. I was gonna
0: say maybe now's the time to let people know what I'm not, do. I'm
1: not trying to, I'm not trying to be the serious no but, so I I work in content so I basically write um marketing campaigns and I think writing will always be part of whatever I decide to do next as well and um I, but I didn't realize I could do something with writing until I was living in Berlin and I was writing these like honestly Facebook uh, I was writing the like like crafting these little stories to put as my Facebook um, status and I realized how much I liked it when people commented how uh on how well it was written and when when I got comments on my writing specifically and that that was the first time I realized oh this could actually be a career and I was 20 so that was after I had made all of my important educational decisions already so this mentality that you need your career path to be carved out or that we need to know exactly at the age of 18 what we want to do that's just ridiculous because yeah some people some people choose a field of study because they know okay this gives me, well, an idea of job security because it's not necessarily true, but, you know, um, and then I can just climb the ladder and then I can be comfortable and that's fine. But not everyone is like that. I think especially if you're a creative person, that is simply not how it works. I think for many of us, it's like, OK, do I like this? I don't know. Let's try it for a year. Oh, actually, I don't really like it. Oh, oh I do like it, but I would rather do it from this angle or I would I'm more interested in this aspect now let me try this so expecting that when we go to college or university at 18 that you will still want to do the exact same thing when you're 40 for most people is absolutely ridiculous We're completely different people by that age. Not to mention, many of the jobs we end up doing didn't exist back then when we decided what to study. You know, being being a social media editor or something was not really, you know, an actual career when we decided what we wanted to study in secondary school. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is actually a really good segue into a quote I found. And I'm bringing it up again. It's The Office. But... Dwight, the actor of Dwight, he's called Rain Wilson. Um, he has his own podcast, which is really good. Go listen to it. But basically, what he said is, and I'm just gonna read this to you. The point of your twenties is to try 12 different things and to fail at nine of them. But truthfully, in society right now, you talk to so many college kids. And they are so depressed at 20 or 21 because they haven't gotten the perfect internship over the summer and they are not pre enrolled in the perfect grad program and they don't have their job aligned. It's hard to make a career and make a living out there. It's much harder than it was in the eighties and the nineties, but nonetheless, if you're in your twenties, view it as a workshop, as a workshop, as a workshop stage, and then you can relax a little bit. And I think that is putting it like, that's bringing it to the point. Um, I think, your 20s you are still quite young I think your frontal lobe's not even developed until you're like 25 or 26 Um, and it's completely okay to try different things that makes you a job hopper so be it at least you gained several experiences and at some point maybe you really know what you want to do but I actually think you don't have to like even let's say you find what you really like you're 29 you found the job you want to do it's okay to change a job again in your 30s. It's okay to change a job again in your 40s. I think, well, the majority of your life, you will be working. You don't have to stick with one thing. It's your life and you can make it more interesting if you're not the person that is satisfied by doing the one route for the rest of your life. And I actually think a lot of times you hear about people who've been really successful by the age of 20 and they've launched their own and they've sold it for billions and they're only 21 but honestly I think it's just as important and impressive to talk about people who change careers later in life or only find what they're really good at later in life so I had a little google (laughs) and I found a list of people who did exactly that Uh, I'm gonna read it to you so the first one I found was Julia Child you might know it from the film Julia and Julia it's with Meryl Streep where she's like cook Um, anyway Julia Child worked in advertising media uh, and in the secret intelligence service before she was writing her first cookbook and she wrote that when she was 50 and she launched her career as a celebrity chef uh, in 1961 so in her 50s so I mean she did completely different things before and then realized I actually really like cooking and she wrote a cookbook Um, so here my film suggestion is watch Julia and Julia Um, then again martha stewart she was a full-time model um and she was a 25 year old mother and then she worked as a wall street stockbroker and then stewart turned her love of gourmet and cooking and creative uh, passion into what we now know as martha stewart so again she did a whole other life before she decided she wants to be what she is now this household queen or whatever you want to call it but actually I think she started all of that only in her late 30s in a basement so you go on and then Vera Wang the designer she was a figure skater and a journalist before she entered the fashion industry and she only did this at age 40 um, and then I've got two more and then I'm going to shut up <laughs> there's the lady who founded Spanx you know the shape underwear she's a billionaire now and before that she sold office supplies door-to-door for seven years in her 20s um, before she did what she does now. Um, and then there's, you, I think you know BuzzFeed or the Huffington Post, I actually got this information from the Huffington Post. <laughs> um, the guy who founded this, his name is Chona Peretti, he was a middle school teacher and he te- he taught children how to use Microsoft Office as a computer science teacher. So. <laughs> And now he founded BuzzFeed and Huffington Post. So there's so much potential when you're older. You don't always feel like you have failed because now you're 30. And, well, you should have launched that app and sold it for a few million when you were like 22.
1: Um, also, I don't know when exactly she started her acting career, but Olivia Colman, she was a cleaning lady. She was a cleaner.
0: Yeah. 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 I think actors are actually also a good example. There are of actors who only got into their prime of acting once they were like older so you do you boo you do (laughs) it yeah
1: and on that note (laughs) do you have anything else to add to this or because that's everything i have okay it was all i had do you have recommendations
0: i do um well one of them is like i mentioned julia and julia it's about julia child i want to watch it uh, i don't think
1: i ever have i'm going to
0: Oh, it's, a, it's a nice comfort movie. And then I have a series called The Bold Type. Um, it's a ser- The series centers around like three millennial women. Um, they are living in New York and they are three best friends at work. They work for like a women's magazine and they all have different roles within that. One of them is a writer, one of them like doing social. And I think one of them has actually starts as an assistant. And it's just about, you know, it's a bit like sex in the city meets corporate, but for millennials, it's more political, correct? Uh, (laughs) And then I was also thinking, why not? The Devil Wears Prada. I think that's a really good little example for she wants to go for the big job in the big world in the big corporate world well magazine corporate writer world whereas her boyfriend just really enjoys being a cook and being a chef and it's just two completely different passions and yeah that's 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 the suggestions from me yeah and
1: I would like to say watch the movie don't read the book (laughs) the devil wears prada I think is one of the examples where the film is so much better I really didn't like that book was just no, I I don't get it. I don't get how um, they showed this to Meryl and she was like, oh, I want to be, because the film, iconic, the book, oh, my God, it's so boring. No, I really didn't like it. I also thought when you said a series called, I thought you were going to say, it's a series called Friends <laughs> about, you know, how Chandler, like, changes his oh, yeah Yeah.
0: I actually did have to leave my notes about career change, but we were already ahead, so it was like, so be it. But yeah, there's this episode where Chandler decides to... I don't know what his job was before. I don't know what... That's like a whole joke in the series, but I actually can't remember even though they said it. Um, anyway, where he changes his job and become, goes into marketing, but where he has this whole phase of sitting at home and trying to find out what he wants to do. And Monica makes this whole nicely organized folder and it takes him one minute and he was like, I want to go into advertising. And then he starts as a junior advertiser. Person. actually no he starts as an intern and then becomes like a junior writer or something I mean that is that's the thing you have to accept when you do change your careers, you will go down again like I went from a junior content editor to a content editor and then I went down to being well actually I don't think it's really down because I have way more responsibility now than in my previous role but like I'm now the client success assistant which is a great job I think but yeah it, I had to accept that I will go down the ladder again before I can go up
1: Okay, well, um, I have book recommendations, but, well, <laughs> hear me out. So the first one, uh, I haven't actually read, but it's quite the hype, I think, is There's No Such Thing as an Easy Job by Kikoko Tsuma- Tsumura. And, um, yeah, this is about a woman who goes into a job agency and requests requests a job where she doesn't have to think too much or really do a lot um and then she kind of becomes a job hopper and she has all these different jobs that are a little bit weird because yeah I don't know it's I I think there's an element of like magical realism to it as well I think but yeah I haven't read it um um I want to read this because it looks very interesting but I have this thing that I've noticed with basically every book I've read that's translated from the Japanese I don't really vibe with the writing that much and I think I'm quite sure actually it's the translation um and I don't really know how to explain it but I don't know it's just never really engaging for me or I feel like it when it's in English I feel like it like repeats it's it just says the same thing just with different words quite a lot and i and I think or I like to think that the Japanese the original version probably has a lot more nuance and everything but I feel like that gets lost in translation and of course I don't know because I can't read the original books but yeah I'm not I don't know well so actually I'm kind of like now well Recommending this book and then (laughs) saying how I how I'm a little bit skeptical how I've become skeptical, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I just
0: no, it's a it's a true I think it's true what you say that it gets lost in translation because I had to back at uni I did watch a lot of Japanese and Chinese and Asian films and we had a lot of Asian students in my class and I was actually told by them that it's like especially like for example Chinese films they talk a lot in metaphors and like all these sayings and like olden time stories. And it's like a bit of a different culture. So it's really good when you watch it in the original language, but if you don't have the background and the language knowledge and it's translated into English, a lot of it seems maybe a bit, it doesn't make sense to you and you're just missing the main point. So maybe that's the same with the books. I think so. it's like a very poetic way of telling a story and it's really hard to translate, I think.
1: Yeah, because I have the opposite when I read books that are translated from the Japanese. I feel like they're very much like and now this person does this and now this person goes there. <laughs> and I really think it's because it gets lost because it almost seems like every book is translated by the same person and the writing style is just exactly the same. I don't know. I don't know why I feel this way. Maybe I'm just completely wrong maybe it's
0: just a poor the person that translates it
1: (laughs) well no I've read quite a few I don't know I don't know anyway but I do think it I mean I I do think um there's also that other book what's it called the the convenience supermarket thing I, I don't know that was another hype a couple of years ago oh my god I completely I did actually read that one and this is about a woman who um yeah works at a supermarket and has this very everyday is exactly the same book and that was translated from the Japanese as well and I think yeah I I, I think there's very I do think Jap- Japanese books are very good at writing about the like mundane <laughs> in, the, in that way I think that I think that's really yeah that I do really like about it it's just literally just the the, the, literally just how the sentences are crafted that i don't really vibe with but that's yeah. 100% the translation i think yeah um and then there's an other one this is not necessarily an inspiring one but it's very interesting i think and this is a current i would say a more a current type uh yellow face by rebecca f Quang. so this is about A girl who is... Well, a woman, a young woman, who is trying to make it as a writer, but it's not really working out for her. Her friend... Well, they're kind of frenemies. They they know each other, but they have this kind of... There's this feeling of, like rivalry I think between them a little bit mostly because the friend is very successful she's extremely successful she's like she's basically the Sally Rooney in this in this um universe and one day this is not the spoiler um she dies and she yeah and she was working on um a book about China and Chinese history so a history a history novel set in in China But that woman is also Chinese. Um, The friend who survives is not. She's a white woman. And she, this is honestly literally just the premise of the book. I'm not spoiling anything. She takes the manuscript and finishes it and sells it as her own. And then, yeah. And so then it becomes a whole thing of where her agency changes her name a little bit and puts a filter on her profile picture so that she looks a bit racially ambiguous and everything and it's very very interesting because it shows it really poses questions of like what do we think is acceptable what do we see as success how do we look at success who do we think are allowed in certain spaces and who is not allowed and I I talked about this with with a friend who also read that book and it's it it it's kind of a it I don't know it starts off with her making points that sometimes I agreed with and I found myself like nodding along and being like yes actually yeah that's absolutely true and then she goes so incredibly off the wall <laughs> that you're like I cannot imagine I ever agreed with this woman and it's it's very very interesting I really enjoyed it
0: I am intrigued yeah. it's on my list now <laughs> Thank you. Well, I guess that was that one. That was it. Okay, everybody, before we wrap up, we wanted to say, as always, a big thank you to all of you who made it to the end of the episode. And we hope you enjoyed it and maybe even heard something you could relate to. And remember, the journey does not end here. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Um, Again, same topic. It will be about the corporate world, the working life. And yeah
1: and of course as always we also want to hear from you share your experiences share your stories hang out with us and connect on our instagram at millennial musings share your own musings your funny moments and the not so glorious times of being a millennial and also if you like our podcast and please 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 follow share recommend it bring it up during a first date do whatever do whatever you have to to spread the word because it really 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 helps
0: yes and also as of yesterday actually you can listen to us on apple podcasts and on amazon music and yeah so until next week stay curious and keep those stories coming bye Bye.